If you've ever played a tabletop RPG, part of the fun is getting the chance to explore a vast new fictional universe with your friends, all while building a brand new character for yourself in which to experience that new world around you. Whether it's the more traditional Dungeons and Dragons or one of the more modern RPGs, there's something out there for everyone to enjoy, and a whole galaxy of new worlds for you to discover. In every good tabletop game though, there's always that moment, whether it's an action or a discussion or a twist in the Dungeon Master's tale. At a certain point, you become so invested in your character, in the game and in the world forged by you and your team, that everything takes on a life all of its own. And that can be hard to abandon once the game is over. I mean, we've all thought at some point in our games that this would make an excellent movie or a TV show, or maybe even a comic book. But my guests today, they decided that they weren't done with their world once they left the table. They decided to take the leap that a lot of us only dream of and have brought the game they've created to life on the comic book page, allowing a whole new audience to explore their world. My name's Matt Loon, and today on the show I'm joined by Mary Popo and Mark Romero from Attic Door Media to discuss the world they're building in their new series, Incident Report. This is That's the Issue. Hi, I'm Mary. I'm one of the co-creators on Incident Report. Uh, I'm Mark, and I am the other co-creator on Incident Report. (laughs) (laughs) But welcome both to That's the Issue. It's really good to speak to you. Nice to be with you as well. Thank you for having yeah. me. Yes, thank you so much. I love Incident Report. Thank you for, for sharing the, uh, the issue with me. Uh, you've just completed the Kickstarter for it. Um, and I'm always fascinated by people's Kickstarter experiences because it's always different for different people. So how was it like, what was it like, the, the, the process for you both working through, you know, working for this project, putting it out there on Kickstarter and, and getting such a good response? Because you, you, you completely funded with it. You got nearly $7,000 um, to go towards, you know, funding this, this project for you so uh, so how was it for you i would say we tried to plan as much as possible when we we started the kickstarter we were part of a comics launch which is uh run by tyler james i I don't know if you've ever interviewed him before um no no uh, he he works on a couple of different projects he's responsible for a c's for cthulhu he's uh one the publisher for wailing blade and a couple of other products our projects mm. um <clears throat> and he has this really cool uh like platform that you know it's a bunch of creators that get together and he has like a course on training for kickstarter and like what to do what not to do etc and uh, that was really helpful for us getting started and we had never done or really interacted in a creative way with kickstarter so uh, it was a good program to sort of get our feet wet learn sort of how to interact with the platform what to do and i would say you know as good as the platform brought the comics launch thing was we we still ran into a lot of problems of not being prepared Uh, i think it's a horrible problem to have like we had a lot of initial success that we weren't expecting um, mm. So we were kind of scrambling to get our stretch goals ready and things like that, which they probably should have been prepared beforehand. Um, but, <laughs> you know, uh, we, we did it, you know, and it, we're happy with the success and the sort of love that we've gotten from the community thus far. Yeah. The, um, the actual funding itself, I think, was a little bit surreal. Mark kind of touched on it where we had done all this research and put in all this effort to like, you know, what is our, our best case scenario? What's our worst case scenario? How do we move forward? How do we do these things? You know, we're, we're planners kind of by nature. And then, so hitting our goal so quickly after working on incident report as a whole for so long, and then still having done a comics launch and prepping for the Kickstarter itself for almost a year, funding that first day was like, Oh, oh, wow, what do we do? We We were a little bit flabbergasted um, Mm. and taken aback, not just um, the support of our friends and family, but by friends we had made in the comics launch, friends we had made on Instagram. Um, It was a little bit overwhelming. It was but very, very touching and amazing that we finally got to do this and get through everything. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a wonderful problem to have, isn't it, really? Like the idea of <laughs> just yes. like, oh no, people love us too much. <laughs> but no, that, I mean, that's wonderful, isn't it? But it's, it does, um, every, as I said earlier, like everyone has different uh, experiences with Kickstarter. Um, and, it, and that's kind of the, the gift and the curse of it, isn't it, really? You know, this idea of putting yourself out there and not knowing what the response will be. Um, so, you know, how did you how did you cope with that then? You know, as you said, it was overwhelming. What were your next steps then? You know, you scrambled together to, to get your to get your stretch goals yeah. and things like that. Um, so we had so part of it was planning. Uh, like I said, we're planners kind of by nature. We had kind of talked about previously, you know, in our best case scenario, we kind of knew what we wanted we knew we wanted more short stories we knew we wanted variant art prints right because i love variant covers it's i Mm -hmm. i love them so we knew kind of where we wanted to go and then we were it was the scramble of okay we know what we want to do now how do we get there who do we reach out to who do we talk to who who can we tap whose whose work do we like and how do we handle this so quickly um and then, you know, we had a bunch of champagne that night um, <laughs> <laughs> because, it, it, like you said, it was it's a it's a good problem to have. Um, we had, you know, this, this launch party for our friends and family who've been with us going on this journey kind of alongside us in this. Uh, I'm sorry, I have to go to our meeting. I'm sorry, we need to work on edits. I'm sorry, you know, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. And so they're there with mm. us. And then, you know, we're celebrating. And in the middle of the party, we fund and it's like, oh, crud i'm sorry we have to leave the party and go go to this thing and send out announcements and things yeah yeah. Uh, so we we, need to have another party tomorrow night (laughs) yeah and and i i think we we were hoping i think we were fairly confident that we would fund just based on the the level of support we knew we had in our friends and family but there's always that element of doubt and then when it happened so quickly we kind of spread out and and had to kind of okay well who's going to get in contact with the variant artist who's going to talk to the writers who's going to do this who's planning the updates and it 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 became a very all hands on deck very quickly yeah yeah i imagine it would be i mean you know it's it's such a it's such a fun kind of experience but it's also quite stressful isn't it it's it's very stressful to you know to go through i imagine because there's there is no certainty but then also you know on on your side of things when you were funded so quickly you know the certainty was there but then it was like right well what what do we do next you know what's the you know what we need to do is your timetable moved up i imagine quite quite swiftly quite swiftly yes that's a Hmm. yeah (laughs) an understatement (laughs) yes (laughs) So talk to me through the uh, the next steps now then. So you, you completely funded. Um, so what, um, what are you working on at the moment? How are you getting yourselves prepared for the next step? Uh, so right now we are finalizing the book. We're hoping to have that uh, go to the printer by the end of the week. Uh, we've actually started getting in our um, rewards already. Um, some of our fulfillment steps have already been in. I actually got the first of the backer rewards in last night, uh, which was cool. And one of the benefits of funding early is like, okay, we know we're going to have this money. Let's order the things now, right? Because we have everything that we can do um, so we can start fulfillment very, very quickly. So now it's making sure all of our files are ready to go to print, make sure that we have every place to store everything. And yeah, I think it's just finalizing everything. Most, Most everything I think has been ordered. Yeah. So it's we're in the waiting game again. Yeah, I think the kind of the most exciting thing we're doing now is that since we funded so well, like we, we got the opportunity to do more short stories. So we, we've been working yeah. with, you know, a couple of additional writers and they're writing stories in the settings. And, and that's something that we wanted to do. We wanted to sort of tell a series of different stories in the same world. Um, so that's also been fun. We, we got our, I think, uh, uh, our first draft from Daystar Eld, who does uh, the Origin of Species. It's like a Pokemon fanfic in the Rational community, and he gave us his first draft last week. And that was really cool because uh, he's actually a social worker. Um, mm. And, you know, Anne, our main character, is a social worker. And so he told another story about a different social worker. But, like, the amount of depth that he put into the short story is really great because he knows like all of the proper protocol and everything. So it's definitely a a different, a very like 
very well done take on it. And it's really cool to see someone put that together. And it's it's also fun, I think, to see how two different characters in a similar space can have very different reactions to a situation. And we're we're not social workers and 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 Daystar is. So it's you know, we have the we have Anne who is a social worker, but her powers aren't really uh, geared towards her line of work. And this is a character we've been living with for almost 10 years. So having Daystar come in and give us a new, fresh example of here's another way that the system plays out. Here's another way that the system helps or hurts individuals was really, really cool to get those two side-by-side comparisons. He also did a good job, I think, at really pressuring us to uh, make sure that our world was more consistent and i think mm-hmm. that's the nice thing about having more people in the setting writing stories in the setting because he, he was able to ask us like how does this work why does this work like this and it really challenged us to like figure a lot of things out to make sure that the setting made sense yeah i mean the the the, the world and the setting which we'll, we'll talk about shortly is is quite a robust one to start with you know the from reading the first issue you can you know you said you lived with Anne for for 10 years as a character now and, the, and this world that you've been developing you can tell that by reading the issue which is which is great because it's this it, it's not just kind of a character dealing with a situation it's it's characters dealing with the world around them and and the and the, the kind of the the space that they're inhabiting um and that's that's always that's always fascinating was this kind of world building i mean it's been built into the way that you've designed the way the way that you've come to this story um but was that kind of uh, depth important to you yes a hundred percent um we're we're big readers and we're big fans of these kind of deep world buildings and mythos and and like these really big overarching character moments we we also play a lot of tabletop games <laughs> um and so having that kind of prolonged story and living in these worlds and feeling these characters was uh, one of the most i think for me important parts of it i didn't want something that someone could pick up and be oh man i really really love this this was such a cool thing and then you know walk away for seven issues Hmm. that's that's not because i've i've done that with books and i didn't want that um and so we thought about you know what makes us come back to a book or come back to a comic or come back to a game or a show and it was those really rich deep worlds where we personally connected with these characters yeah the concept of incident report then we've um you know you've you've mentioned on the actual kickstarter when you talk about it these you've got um inspiration from things like heroes and powers and like misfits and alphas and so the the concept obviously is incident report is about um well i'll let i'll let you guys explain it what what is the what is the like the core concept i'm explaining your story to yourselves it makes much more sense for you to do it to me (laughs) um yeah so what what is incident report about. At its core, Incident Report is about a society, which, you know, it's our world, um, but the major difference is that, you know, superheroes exist. Um, and I would say that the main difference from like your Marvel or DC is that instead of masked vigilantes, uh, superheroes are kind of treated just like normal everyday people. Um, there's an organization that helps people grow with powers for when they are, I feel like I'm messing this up. Um, <laughs> You're doing better than I would do. <laughs> I'll, I'll correct you if you, if you get it wrong. <laughs> All right. uh, so, so there's an organization in our setting called the ICA, the International Chimerid Administration, which Chimerans are our version of um, mutants or superpowered individuals. And basically it, it's a governmental organization that's meant to help people. So like we kind of took the Mutant Registration Act and flipped it on its head. Like, what if it's actually like a good thing and society was able to adapt to it properly? And how would that society work? So we took out masked vigilantes, you know, instead of being a masked vigilante, you know, they're actual, they're more akin to police officers. Um, And that's, I would say, is the major difference in the setting. We want to explore, you know, a lot of the kind of unintended consequences of superheroes. So uh, the opening of the story, you know, our main character, Anne, is a social worker. So she's going to the house of a father who 
his son just started flying and he's a toddler and how does he deal with that (laughs) (laughs) which i love because it's so um i really felt for him and i really kind of felt it like really relatable in a weird way and i was like well i've I've never had a son that flew but at the same time it's quite it was it was a really realistic situation of this guy going yeah i I don't know what i'm doing here (laughs) and i was like oh yeah same (laughs) yeah no it's it's a and and so we we love moments like that and and i think you did a a fine job mark explaining it uh i i love i love the morenos i that was a that came out of a a film project that Brian had to do for class. And it was just one of those things that, that stuff like, well, yeah, what, what do, what do you do when your two-year-old starts flying around the room? Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you, spoiler, you put him on a leash. Like that's <laughs> unfortunately how you do that. You, yeah, <laughs> that's actually, so it's funny because that part of the story in the first draft of the comic did not even exist, even no, though it, it, didn't. Was, it was kind of already written because we had talked about it, uh, you know, and Sippin had wrote it in like a script format, uh, our, the other co-creator on Incident Report. Brian's um, last name is Sippin. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we, we watched this uh, course that Brandon Sanderson has on writing. Uh, he has it up on YouTube for one of a a college course that he teaches uh, every year. Um, And one of the things that he said that was important is to make sure that people, uh, I guess, in the first part of your book, they get kind of the truth of what the setting is going to be. Like, you you don't want to, like, change things midway through and have it be unexpected. So, you know, we decided after the first draft was written that, like, our main difference in the setting, we had to put it in the front of the book. And so we took this portion that we didn't even have in the book and we kind of like put it in the front. Um, Mm. And I think it was for the better. I think it was a good way to introduce Anne. And I think it was a good way to introduce like the mission of the ICA and what they're doing to try to help people. Yeah, I think it definitely did. I think it was um, a great way of introducing the world, introducing people's attitude to these uh, chimerans and and it was a good way of kind of establishing the tone and also establishing the rules of the world as well uh, which i think is quite important for a for a book like this to to kind of if you if you're trying to ground the like the you know the setting and the you know take this at, like extraordinary concept and add like a touch of realism to it it's important to set those rules out early on and i think you do that really well with that uh, with that kind of short scene thank you well i'm i'm always fascinated by new approaches to to superheroes because it is it's safe to say that you know a lot of the concepts have been explored already when it comes to superheroes it is it's like a a saturated field Uh, was that something that bothered you going into it like this idea of adding to to superhero was it the idea more of exploring a different side of it so, so there, there's a two-part answer to this. Um, so when we, when when Brian and I first sat down and talked about what we wanted that would become Incident Report, there wasn't this kind of oversaturation of of superheroes, right? There, the MCU was just starting to show you mm-hmm. how long this goes back. Uh, the DCEU didn't really exist. The New Fifty Two reboot hadn't existed yet. It hadn't happened. So we were kind of progressing. A little bit ahead of the curve and then all of a sudden we have the mcu the dceu we have things like powers we have things like alphas and misfits um and um heroes had just come out actually when we were doing this and so it Mm. it became a fear of it so it what didn't start out as being this kind of fearful moment became this oh wow maybe maybe we are off the mark maybe this has been done and it really just became about sticking with it and like no, we we know we know you know we're we're really big fans of the genre. We're really big fans of all of it. We know we have something to say, and we know that it it parts of it might exist anywhere, but no one else can tell this story that we've thought about for so long. Yeah, and and tell me a little bit about how this story because we've touched on it a few times now saying that you know it's it's been you know over a decade you've had these stories tell me a little bit about how this kind of concept formed for you both um so we were in a we were players in a tabletop game in college and we talk about this a little bit in uh on the kickstarter page um where we were playing in the marvel universe and we 
just fell in love with our characters and the world. And it felt like every week that we went back that we had another question to ask and the materials weren't giving us the answer. And I think a lot of our questions did center around the Mutant Registration Act, around the Superhero Registration Act, around those types of, well, but how does this work? How does society function when you have people with superpowers? Because they can't all wear capes and they can't all wear masks. And you're not going to have a guy in a cow flinging himself off a roof every week or every night saying things like, I'm Batman and hoping that a dude in a clown makeup doesn't shoot somebody, right? <laughs> like this is, this is not a sustainable thing. Hmm. How does this really function? And I think that the more we asked, the more we wanted to know. And that led to just more questions that eventually Mark had to put his foot down and tell us to stop asking. Um, <laughs> because it, Brian and I both will just keep asking Ed Nos like until we've run out of, of questions. And even then, 20 minutes later, it's like, well, what about? So it, 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 was, it, it, was a, it was a game that allowed us to really, every week gave us a defined time to think about how do powers work? How does being a hero work? What does it mean to be a hero? Why do people make these decisions that they do? What makes you a villain? Are there true villains? And, and it, it gave us a, a room to play, but didn't give us answers. I, I love the idea of, because I think everyone that has taken part in like tabletop gaming, whether it was like, whether you're kind of Dungeons and Dragons or you're playing like more, you know, modern games, I always love it because whenever, when you get a good campaign going, and it's been a number of years since I've done this now. But when you go a good campaign going, everyone, like, I, 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 I dare to think that there's not a single person that doesn't turn around and go, this would make a great comic or this would make a great movie or this would make a great TV show. And But for you guys, you actually took that next step. You know, how did you get from this is really, this is really cool, we're really enjoying this, to actually turn around and going, you know what, we should just write this version ourselves? We're very so stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> That helps a lot. <laughs> it really does. Yeah. So, so, so I think, like, I personally, like, was in and out of this particular game. And Mary and Brian were, uh, I think you guys played for On and off years? for, like, no, no, no much, much that. longer. We played on and off for probably about seven or eight years. So, so when the game, you know, finally came to an end, uh, Mary and Brian had these characters that they wanted to continue exploring and, Mary would talk my ear off about it. And eventually <laughs> I did get to the point where I was like, look, if you're going to write something, write something. It can't be in the Marvel universe, obviously, but like we can come up with something. And so we spent yeah. the next, you know, a couple months like trying to yeah. see what kind of world we would build. And then eventually we got the world of incident report. Mm. Yeah. And there had been many, many attempts on uh, mine and Brian's parts where we had tried it out as a novel. We had tried it out uh, as a television pilot. We had gone back to novels. And neither of us are, um, we're really great players, I like to think, uh, in mm. games. But Mark is probably my favorite storyteller. And even though he was a player in this particular game, he's run other games for us that just, I at the drop of a hat, will start sobbing uncontrollably over things that happened 10 years ago. Um, <laughs> but he, 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 he did, he kind of gave us like a put up or shut up moment where he's like, look, you've tried this. Why don't you just take it back to basics, go back to, you know, you love superheroes, you love comic books, take it back to comic books. If you're going to do this, do it. Mm. Um, and I, having somebody in your life that will, that will do that both to you and for you. I think helps tremendously as well. Yeah. I mean, some of my favorite comics are the kind or favorite superhero comics, especially are the ones where it does take this kind of ground up approach. So, you know, things like Astro City and things like Marvels and and just and just books that kind of explore or like even like Gotham Central, things like that that look at look at superheroes from the um from the opinion or you know from the point of view of of what it would be like for us you know because i yeah. can't imagine that i would be the next spider-man i'd just be a dude looking up at spider-man you know so it's like well, well what's that like for me you know what's that like for the average guy on the street and and that's what i love about those kind of books and and that's what instant report does as well isn't it uh i like to think so um i would i would also probably be the person staring up at spider-man um <laughs> i would not 
I don't know that I'd be a very good superhero. I'd like to think that I would be, but realistically, I probably would not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, it's it's a risky job. <laughs> it's not something common. Yeah, and we don't have like a lot of skyscrapers over by us, so like we can't really swing from them if we wanted to. <laughs> We, we have You're a lot really of low level swing. Yeah, yeah, I can't do that exactly. We um, we actually have one giant guitar skyscraper. I hate now, that that's building it. so much. I hate <laughs> it so much. It's so ugly. We'll, it's, we'll have come to love it if it becomes like your mode of transportation as a superhero. No, it's the only it's the only building that size for like five miles in any direction. Like you but can crime s- in that one block would be non existent. Non existent. <laughs> it, it is a casino, so like it, it is has a casino a lot going for it in that oh, regard. Yeah. yeah, there we go, yeah. <sighs> so was this like this way of telling stories or this way of exploring this world, was this a byproduct of the fact that it came from a kind of a tabletop game where you were approaching it as obviously as non-superpowered people going, what would it be like? Or was that kind of storytelling something that you wanted to explore anyway? Uh, a little bit of both. I've, I, I'm kind of like you in that regard. And I, I do like the low level how does this happen on on the ground level? How do people without superpowers respond to these things? And when you're when you're living in that kind of situational game for so long, where you're thinking about these things, at some point uh, the characters get there as well. And so when you're when you're doing things like running a school because someone has kidnapped somebody again, you know, you're like, okay, well, what are the real things that we have to worry about? Because our our GM in that game also was really good about making sure that every possible situation that could have gone wrong did um (laughs) but i I like knowing how it impacts you know people's schooling how people think about history and culture and how language something as simple that we take for granted as language changes Hmm. i think those are also the kind of questions that you are more inclined to ask if you are inhabiting that world which you you obviously have done you know not just kind of in your mind as you're writing it but also in your games that you play you know you're you're living in that world so you are kind of having to ask those questions because you want to know whether your character is going to be able to go to the shops without it exploding or something like that so you just you know it's kind of thinking about that way of you know of living i suppose yeah yeah and I think that uh, also is one of the reasons why we wanted to do some like alternative storytelling things with the comic, like we're doing the short stories. And I don't think we've technically announced this yet, but we're actually working on a site um, that's going to be a website for the International Chimera Administration, where like users can go on and like see like the organization like in functioning basically mm. um yeah. and we want to try to do different things like that because it may maybe like I, I can imagine a lot of people don't necessarily want to know about grocery shopping in the superhero world how it's different but like there are people that do want to do it and i think there's <laughs> you know different ways that you can tell those kind of stories like we we're planning on doing like advice columns like oh my girlfriend can teleport now what do i do <laughs> <laughs> that deepens the world doesn't it having this having different media like ways of consuming like a way of ways of exploring this world is is just a lot of fun and you you know as you say you can bring in so many different people to kind of ask you questions and be like a real advice column or you can do the other thing other way around of like ask questions of other creators and go well look this is our world how would you answer this question yeah and it's it's a mode of storytelling that is new we don't really have we never had access to something like this. Even you know, five or six years ago, we didn't have. We couldn't go on to Wix or WordPress or Shopify and be like, "Let's build this website." And you had to be like a developer. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's a new method of storytelling for us that we're excited for. Yeah, and it, it's it's in similar ways to Kickstarter as well. You know, you're now able to to get this story in front of people in a lot um a lot smoother way really you know a lot a lot you know without cutting out a lot of you know middlemen like publishers and things like that you can go straight Mm -hmm. to the source and say look this is what we're producing and digital comics as well like if people you know don't have much money you can say look you can get a digital version of this book rather than having to you know find a physical copy and and get that published as well yeah digital digital copies are are a a life send like they're just 
they're just a lifesavers entirely yeah. because it is it is something that is also still fairly new that we didn't necessarily have access to before yeah i mean you guys have built this kind of world you've imagined this, this space for you know collectively amongst the you know the the group of you you've been doing it for as you say years like over a decade now what makes so this first issue obviously surrounding annie and introduction of vlad what made this um this story the one to introduce fans and readers to your your, your world hmm. so as mark kind of alluded to we had a few different versions of the this this issue number one this pilot issue um some of them were a little bit more gory a little bit more bloody but at the core this is kind of what our world of insert report is and what, what how we see it the home visit with the morenos your toddler discovering superpowers we get to see this social worker aspect of Anne that not a lot of other people get to talk about but we also get to bring in vlad we get to see the true international kind of impact like oh you're having some some issues that you need some help with okay well we'll send over our agent this is a real internationally collaborative story and i think right now for us that's important this is you know the the kind of the typical eye rolling question when you've literally only just finished the first issue <laughs> but what is what's next for you what would you where would you like to go next with this with this world like you talked about the websites are there any other you know the this this story this is a kind of a good standalone story but there is there's more to tell when you get to that final page. There's there's more to explore from this specific story and also from the world itself, isn't it? Issue two. <laughs> so much planned. I was waiting for the... I, I was either going to be one or two ways. It was either going to be, oh, God, we've just finished this one. Please give us, give us a chance oh, to breathe. No, or it's going to be, no, we, actually, let us show you our plans. No, actually, we, we, we do. We have um, a lot planned. I won't give specific numbers in case Mark yells at me, but we have... <laughs> a lot a lot planned um we we have a at least uh so what we did one we did issue one and we read issue one like three or four times because you know it was the first attempt at doing this for us um and we had outlined basically uh where we wanted the story to go um so we have a pretty uh uh specific outline up to the first like six issues and then our outline out to issue 12 gets a little bit rougher um but we do have like a plans on where we're taking the story we're gonna see Anne do a couple more uh social visits uh we're gonna see you know uh vlad a lot more uh we're gonna see kenji a lot more and we're just gonna explore the relationship uh, and issue two we're actually gonna meet Anne's family as well um because that's one of the big things that we want to explore because you don't really, I don't think you get really, I'm going to say healthy family relationships <laughs> in most comic books. So we wanted to try to get as healthy as possible mm. a relationship for Anne and her family to interact with her son that she mentioned. She has a sister and her husband. Yeah. And and friendships as well. We, um, we have a couple of friendships coming up as well. And I... One of my favorite aspects of exploring these relationships is these kind of platonic, you know, your friends can be your family relationships. And we see that traditionally in comics, especially in the team-ups. Um, the Teen Titans, Young Justice, Runaways, the New Mutants, we're all very, very close. And so exploring those, but these are all teen titles. Mm. And so exploring these kind of healthy friendships as adults is is really important as well for me. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'm I'm really excited to see where Instant Report goes. I I really love this first issue, as I've said, and I think it's it's an exciting world to explore. And I think it's one that's you know, as as you've spent the last ten years doing, I'm no imagine. I, I imagine there's there's a lot of stories to tell. So I'm excited to see where so it goes. many stories. <laughs> So the Kickstarter's concluded. Obviously, you're getting all the uh, the rewards out to people, digital issues out, physical copies, um, physical rewards, things like that. Um, where can people go for more information about Instant Report? Uh, AddictorMedia.com right now is uh, where all of our information is, is living. Um, eventually, we will have the ICA website up and running. Mm -hmm. It's We just want to get it a little bit more fleshed out, figure out all the kinks, get all the writing up. Um, but one of those two locations will work. But for right now, everything's on addictormedia.com. Cool. 
Amazing. Um, so this um, is the next part of the episode where I get to mm-hmm. um, pick your brains about comics that you love. And um, I've asked I've asked you both to uh, to bring some stories with you uh, that are uh, important to you in, in some way or just issues you want to talk about. Um, Mary, we'll start with you. What, um, what comic have you brought with you? Uh, I have Gail Simone's New 52 run on Batgirl. And what made you want to bring this one onto the show? Uh, so it's really the first DC comic that I read as it was being published. Mm. Uh, I grew up in a Marvel household, specifically uh, the X-Men, surprise, surprise. <laughs> and when we started really looking at Incident Report, um, I realized that my knowledge of X-Men, while very thorough, was not uh, going to cut it in the world of superheroes and superhero fans. So I started doing my homework and, you know, <laughs> popping over to DC felt like the biggest moment of treason. <laughs> um, it, it really did. I was just like, no, I don't like it. And and there was something about the way that Gail Simone had written uh, her Birds of Prey run that when the New 52 was announced and then launched, I had to go immediately pick up Batgirl and see what had happened because I, I wasn't very familiar with the character. And knowing that they were taking Barbara out of the chair, and the only thing I knew about Barbara Gordon was that she was in a wheelchair, that she had been Batgirl, she was shot by the Joker, and she was in the wheelchair. And I knew that was a very, very big deal. Uh, and I didn't know much beyond that. And so reading New 52, reading that arc was – transformative is a strong word, but it, it definitely shaped the way I thought about down top comics right going back to the street level of comic books uh in the first issue barbara you know she kind of loses she you know she lets a a cop get shot she fails to save the life of one of the the murderers that she's trying to protect from some new masked villain that has shown up and and she does it because she's afraid you know she's suffering a little bit from ptsd and seeing a hero be afraid to the point that they fail was something that was new for me yeah i mean it's that first arc especially is very much about her kind of finding a way again isn't it about her kind of coming to terms Mm -hmm. with the things that have happened to her in the past and um reintroducing the character really um and and finding that kind of balance in her life isn't it and it it's and it still managed to feel very lived in and very real you know you have her uh, her interactions with her father, who may or may not know she's Barbara, and you know who's kind of guilting her and her relationship with um, with Dick Grayson Nightwing, where he, you know, he's telling her he's like, "Look, we're afraid for you. We love you, and we're scared. You know, why are you doing this to yourself? You know, you have this opportunity to walk away, and why don't you?" And the ultimate reason is she can't. She can't walk away. She has. She loves this city. She loves Gotham. She loves the people who live there. She loves the Gotham City Police Department. And she knows that she can do more. And she's been giving this, this miracle. And she kind of always comes back to this miracle that she's been given. And she knows she's been given it. And she wants to live up to that for all the people who can't. Mm-hmm the the way you describe that story is you know it's fantastic and it's and it's exactly the same kind of story as we've been talking about really with incident report this idea of taking the extraordinary this you know fantastical world and life and you know kind of unbelievable setting and adding that sense of realism to it adding that humanity to it um and it sounds like that's like a really important kind of through line with the you know the comics you enjoy it, it was the, and I, I think it was the first of, of the comics like that that came out around that time that had that sort of feel to them. Most of the New 52 did, but Marvel Over was also going through some changes. Uh, Matt Fraction was doing Hawkeye. Uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick was doing the Captain Marvel relaunch. Peter David is wrapping up X Factor, but they all kind of had this down to earth, but none of them really kind of sunk the same way for me as 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 Barbara did and I think it's because she was afraid and it was the first time I think I'd really seen a hero admit that I'm afraid I'm gonna do it anyway because I can because it's the right thing to do because I have to and I don't 
ethically, morally inside me have another option? Mm. I mean, I'm exactly the same as you growing up. I was Marvel all the way. Like I never read mm-hmm. any DC comics and, and New 52 was a doorway in for me as well really like and i think that was true for a lot of fans and i think the new 52 is weird because you get a lot of people it's so weird <laughs> it's so strange like on the page in and of itself it's strange but like there's also like a load of fans that grew up with dc and just hated new 52 and everything it stood for and the fact that like a lot of their characters were erased and histories were replaced and things like that but then it for for someone like me and, and obviously for yourself as well it was a way in you know because dc marvel history is complicated dc continuity is a minefield it's an absolute it's it's completely baffling yeah that's that's the nice way to put it (laughs) that is the nicest way i've heard it it put and you know i i I tried it at my previous job one of my coworkers was a huge dc nerd and she was like oh no you can just read from here on and i'm like yeah but how do I get there? Like, where do where do I go? And I, one of the easy things I could say, I was like, well, at least Marvel doesn't have reboots, right? They have retcons, but yeah, yeah. Marvel is Marvel and Marvel continuity is Marvel continuity. I don't have to worry about pre-crisis and post-crisis and pre-flashpoint and post-flash. Like, I don't have to worry about any of that. It just is what it is. And none of it makes sense, really. But, you know, it, it exists. And, and so the New 52 was weird. It, it was strange. It was, you know, I had just started reading just prior to it so i i knew like oh longbow hunters you know i know black canary and green arrow and oh i know some things about the flash and barry and wally and no flashpoint undid all of that and okay well what's what's flashpoint now and and it was a whole mess of craziness as it turns out apparently i've always really liked gail simone's writing i've read more than a couple things of hers um and it was about that time that i also became uh, acquainted with the women refrigerators mm. um, and what fridging meant. And I won't talk about that too much, uh, but I was in, in 2011, the reboot happened, you know, I was in my, in my early twenties and it was a, com- it was a completely different side of comic books that I had not been exposed to as a child because I should not have been exposed to it as a child. Mm. Um, but knowing that about, about Gail and her writing and, um, Kelly Sue DeConnick coming later about um, Kelly Thompson later on. It, it reframed Barbara in a way that suddenly made more sense to me, I guess, as well. Yeah. I mean, it, it is like the, you know, the concept of fridging is such a kind of watershed moment for comics, I think, because it really is. It became that kind of. It, for for me and for a lot of people and a lot of a lot of female readers i imagine especially they were able to actually go yeah that that that's exactly what we're talking about like that it was able to kind of put a pin in something that was kind of nagging in in your mind for a lot of people and like some of the best stories have moments like that you know like dark phoenix saga has a little bit of it and which um, is my other yeah that, so dark phoenix is the first comic i ever read and is primarily due to like my my love of x-men comes out of that Mm. and as an adult it's hard to read because i was like "Ooh, you guys did you guys did bad by genie like you (laughs) yeah oh and i never really recovered from that and then never well she's starting to a little bit more now Mm. uh tom taylor did a really good job in x-men red i read a lot of comic books (laughs) um (laughs) Uh, he did he did a really good job i think of of finally after what's it been 20 30 years of yeah. letting her be like no this is my life and i'm going to live it regardless of all of these other things that have been done to me but to circle back to to barbara this is the first time i'd seen that kind of directed head on within the narrative yeah. and seeing barbara get to own that was was very special yeah and and it was i mean you know the the driving thrust of her character for years was that frigid moment in Mm -hmm. you know in in the killing joke and so to see her come back from that i mean i loved oracle and i thought her her time as oracle was you know well reading it back now i i love that kind of side of her and i love the i love the fact that she you know finds a way to overcome the issues that she's suffered in life but also i i love her as batgirl as well you know and i i'm the same as you i was introduced to her 
through Batgirl, and you know, so to see yeah. to go back and read Oracle's great, but then to see her as Batgirl and see her overcome that, and to see Gail Simone be the one to do that as well makes a lot of sense. Yeah, especially since she had just wrapped, I think. So she was the the last woman to write Oracle, and then the first woman to write the new Batgirl, mm-hmm. and so that kind of consistency, I think, led to a really nice narrative coherency. Yeah, yeah, a good bridge between the two, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Mark, what's your experience with like Marvel and DC? Were you were you growing up with one more than the other, or? So I am going to say something slightly slack religious. <laughs> Yes, I, I, I was not a huge fan of comic books growing up, but I was a huge fan. Of- <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> I, I was a huge fan of Spider-Man. Yeah, I read Spider-Man was the only comic I read growing up, but I read as much of it as I could find. Mm. I don't know what it was about Spider-Man, and I didn't like. I watched all of the TV shows, but in terms of actual comic books, Spider-Man was my jam. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I still have like those big giant essential books that I've read through like multiple times. Oh yeah. Like the huge black and white ones. Those are hard to read as well. Cause they're black and white. So well done. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had to redeem myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, it's, it's crazy because what I love about this, about doing this podcast is getting to know people and getting to know how they got into comics and the amount of people that say, Oh, it, it was it was the X Men TV series, like the X Men cartoon, mm-hmm. and like the Spider Man cartoon, and like so for me, like I'm sat here going, oh, you know, how did you get into comics? And like, oh, through a TV show, <laughs> and it's and it's wild that it, it is other 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 ways of looking at things, isn't it? And so a lot of people, and a lot of people now, like this, the newest generation coming up now, it will always be oh because of the movies, you know, and so yeah. that will be hopefully you know a great way for people to start getting into comics and it's it's i love i love finding that out i love finding the different avenues and things like that so you know and as i say like i read loads of marvel but that was only like early teens before that it was all just kind of local british comics and like ghostbusters and sonic the hedgehog and things like that so it wasn't it wasn't like i'm not sat here like uh like a lord on the throne going <laughs> how dare you i'm not grown up <laughs> how dare you recite the crisis name for the earth right now um no it's it's it's, it's crazy absolutely crazy but yeah it's um but yeah I, I i love that kind of finding that thing out but i mean to go back to you know what you were saying about batgirl like the um mm-hmm. you know and, and you mark with spider-man like one of the one of the biggest stories i loved as a kid like reading spider-man was the death of gwen stacy and like that sounds a bit morbid but you know i, I loved you know what how important it was I, I love how it felt like this massive moment but then going back it was and reading so it heartbreaking now, yeah it, it 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 still is that kind of heartbreaking moment and and all stories since you know seem to reference it or talk about it but going back like it is it is hard. You know, I wrote about it recently and um, I wrote about how the fact that, you know, Mary Jane is such a strong character at the end of that storyline, you know, and and that kind of redeems it for me, this idea that both Mary Jane and Gwen were, were kind of just flighty characters um, before Gwen Stacy died. And, and, um, and then Mary Jane at the end of the, you know, the end of the comic decides to kind of instead of leaving peter she shuts the door despite the fact that he's been an absolute dickhead to her you know so he just shouted at her and then she decides to stay with him anyway and i'm like that's a powerful moment for her and that kind of redeems it a little bit but at the same time yeah that's a massive fridging moment for you know for spider-man and, and that kind of defined yeah. an era for him as someone who did not uh read spider-man a lot even yeah it is a huge it just kind of reverberated it was one of those things that i think you just reading comics you you learn you understand it's part of that intrinsic knowledge like oh and gwen stacy died like it's just one of those things it's like peter parker is spider-man batman is bruce wayne his parents died in an alley gwen stacy is dead uncle ben is dead like you just know these things Mm. okay i i I, I did not know this thing when i started (laughs) okay well you were a little boy (laughs) (laughs) you know now right though like you you've you've read that you've seen the movies so so by like the stuff that i read was like random so like I believe the first time I read Grant Stacy's death was actually in the Ultimate series, and I stopped reading it. I was so upset <laughs> that she died. I was like, she was like one of my favorite characters. Like, I need to pause for a bit. I'm going to read Iron Man, I guess. Yeah. 
<laughs> so, so Gwen Stacy upset you, so you went to go read Iron Man. <laughs> yes, and then better. he was, and then he was blue, and I was confused. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh no, it's just like yeah, no, no one tell you about Bucky, like no, no one asks you about Bucky. <laughs> oh, oh no! I don't like. The the Amazing Spider Man two the Andrew Garfield movie where like uh, Gwen Stacy dies in that I did not like that movie at all and I was just like I know what was going to happen I knew she was going to die but it was just a bit like oh no I don't I don't like this because they even dressed her in the same like kind of yeah. outfit that she dies in in the comic and I'm just oh this is just foreshadowing like hitting me over the head with it I I had a friend who at the time in class was saying like oh maybe they won't do it I'm like guys. <laughs> Yeah, they will. No. Yeah. Come on. Like they're gonna they're gonna do it. (laughs) No, I was I was also not a super huge fan of that film. No, I I think Um, it's 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 I'm glad that they kind of rebooted them after that because it's I I wasn't a fan of either of them. I was only on board with it because I thought we were going to get a Sinister Six film. Mm, and they were planning for it, weren't they? They were. They, they were planning for it. Way. Yeah, yeah. They still do. They, then, I think everyone just always just assumes that that's the next thing for Spider-Man. <laughs> that I would assume that would be the next thing. It's like, oh, what do we got? Oh, let's do the Sinister Six. Yeah, let's, yeah. let's do that. Yeah. Um, so, Mark, let's talk about a, a comic that you um, that you love and you've bought with you. Uh, what have you decided to uh, to talk about today? So I've brought Copperhead with me today. Mm-hmm. Um, Why have you bought this one? So Copperhead has kind of a special place in my heart. Uh, it's actually the first comic I read right after I finished writing the first draft of Incident Report. Huh. And it, it was kind of the first comic I read after having written something myself. So it kind of was like going into it with kind of a different mindset and I had looked around for a comic that I'd wanted to read because after writing, I was like, I really need to start reading a lot more. Um, I think it would be helpful. So I searched, you know, Comixology and Copperhead is kind of like a Firefly-esque. It's a space Western. Um, The the color palette is actually also really similar to Firefly. It's really cool. Um, It takes place in like this shady, like mining town and it's about a single mother who is the sheriff of the town. And I thought, okay, well, that's kind of like Anne's deal. <laughs> I think this is going to be a good way for me to go. So I started reading it and like, it, it really sort of changed. Like Copperhead is the reason why I changed the first draft so much <laughs> of Incident Report, because like, I just love the characterization that they had. And it really gave me a sense of... Um, in in Copperhead, you know the character uh, she has to uh, come to terms with being in kind of this uh, lawless town where she's sheriff, and the differences between like does she do things right by the law, or does she sort of do things right by the people that she's serving as town sheriff? Um, and I think that the kind of uh, story that they tell in Copperhead and the way the characters make decisions really mean a lot to me, especially since she has to also make decisions with the fact that like, I have my small, like, I don't know, I think he's probably in like eight to 10 year old son with me. And, you know, he obviously can't come with me everywhere. And it's kind of a shitty town. So what do I do to protect my son while also doing my job and serving the people of the town Mm. kind of thing? What made like what um what changes did you did you feel like you like not specifically but like what kind of changes did you feel like you had to go back and make to your own writing by reading Copperhead? So after reading Copperhead, I think the biggest set of changes were uh, a uh, kind of the setup in a couple of the panels. I there's a lot of like good reaction shots in Copperhead. And I felt that it was important to maybe have a couple of good reaction shots. And I wanted to, Copperhead has this really good way, and I don't think I I did it extremely well in Incident Report either, is that they get to tell so much of the story and you get so much of the sense of characters from just like a couple of uh, small bits of dialogue that it was just really impressive. And uh, 
the amount of care that I have for the characters in Copperhead, uh, like, <laughs> is just like really quick. Like page three, I'm in, <laughs> like <Yeah>. all in. <laughs> Did that make you go back and go? Oh, I need this. I need to get this hook as well. Like, I need to. I need to get my hooks into into readers this quickly. Yeah, yeah. It, like, I I knew like because we had been playing in the game, uh, the tabletop game with Anne for so long. But you know, she also wasn't my character. She was Mary's character in the game, and so I had a general sense of you know how Anne was supposed to act. Um, and I, obviously I could have asked Mary for advice, but I also didn't want to knock on her door every time I had a question about how Anne would do something. And I think I mean, you could have, but <laughs> yeah, but, but Claire, who, who's the main character in Copperhead, she really gave me the sense of like the person that I kind of knew and the kind of person that I wanted Anne to be a little bit. They have a lot of very similarities, you know, they're very headstrong they care a lot about their families. They want Clara wants to protect her son, um, but she's also, you know, she she's this town sheriff. She she wants to protect her community as well, and I think the way that she does things and sort of that line that she skates between, uh, you know, following the letter of the law versus, uh, you know just doing something that's right mm. for people it is a line that Anne has to follow in her, in social work. Does she, you know, have to maybe break a few rules in order to truly help somebody. And I know that was something that we had talked about and we had wanted to explore. And it, it was just kind of like, it, it was just the right book at the right time. Mm. I feel like. How did, because you mentioned Copperhead was the first one you read after you'd, you know, you'd written for yourself. How did being a writer change how you read comics, you know, and, and how has it affected your moving like since then? You know, because you, you said you grew up reading Spider-Man, but I imagine now you would look at those with a different eye. So I, I, I yeah, it's definitely a different eye. I, I think in some ways it's bad because I, I feel like I, now look at things with a more mm. critical eye, uh, a more <laughs> judging eye. So like when I read Spider-Man, I, I just ran through and everything was really exciting. It was yeah. Spider-Man. And now I notice like more things like, oh, this panel placement or like, uh, you know, the way that they set up the way they phrase this to get like the right amount of story and like a small amount of letters so that the word bubble wasn't filled up with just <laughs> junk. Um, so in, in that way, it's like, Oh, now, now I have this like inner like critic in me that I have to like calm down so I could really enjoy the story for what it is. <laughs> he sounds really crotchety. Um, <laughs> yeah, he is. <laughs> I, I do remember you once getting really, really excited. We showed up for an editing session. He was like, I read this thing. He's like, he's like, and the story is garbage, but the lettering is so good. <laughs> it's like, oh. <laughs> but it, it also takes the other way. Like, I really like when I see something done, like, really well that I really love and then like it's very like artfully done I, I feel like I have a better appreciation for it mm. if that makes sense yeah mm. yeah absolutely yeah there's loads of people I've spoken to that um that have like whether they're letterers or colorists or you know and, and just hearing them talk about what effort went into the work that they did you know and what and what thought went into the work they did um especially colorists for some reason coloring fascinates me the uh, the idea of like the thought process that goes into like the moods and the atmosphere which a lot of it comes from colors doesn't it you know this as you you know you mentioned in copperhead like you had this very kind of you know firefly-esque kind of feel and that automatically sets a tone for the book and for you as a reader going in doesn't it um and i love hearing that you know and so so knowing more about a thing can can break it for you but also it can give you kind of a deeper appreciation when when it does go right you know yeah yeah, yeah for sure so did mary did you have to read copperhead did did mark come in and go you have to read this book <laughs> was it? I, she hasn't read it yet she i haven't read it yet what? i haven't read it yet now it's your turn um, to get off the podcast now it's my turn <laughs> um i'm i'm gonna use the excuse of mark got to read copperhead i was busy reading all of the other superhero comics that were coming out i think at one point uh i was maybe financially supporting our local comic shop with just with my pull list i think i think when rebirth launched i 
I think my initial pull list was probably almost half of the title list, mm. which was insane. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I haven't, I haven't read Copperhead yet. Yeah. Uh, but I, now, I... but now I have to apparently, and it sounds <laughs> actually really good. And I do miss Firefly. So. Mm. I mean, did Copperhead come to an end? Because I remember there being like a time where they said, oh, we're going to have to like delay a few issues or something. And I remember, cause I, I was at the point with it where I read the first few issues and I thought, right, I'm going to have to kind of just, do a massive catch up at some point and i don't remember the final issue coming out i don't think it's done yet right. but i don't know if it's also going to continue either yeah yeah because yeah. it's been quiet for over a year now i think mm. oh, well, hopefully it will come back then the going back to what you said mary about like uh you know rebirth and stuff like i think the one thing that dc has done well and one thing that like um, you know, yourselves as comic creators now um, can can learn from is this idea of you know of of drawing readers in, isn't it? Of just like having these for DC, it's having these access points. So like it's New mm-hmm. Fifty Two and it's Rebirth. Like I'm all in on DC Comics now. Like I've only been reading them for the last like five or six years, but I'm I'm kind of all in on it. Whereas like if you'd asked me six or seven years ago, I would have had no clue where to start with it. Um, so they've done like a wonderful job of kind of bringing me in as a reader. They really have. And they, they're very, they're very, they've been very cheeky as well um, <laughs> in kind of making sure that, that the technology and the stories have, have um, been up to date. I know the, um, like the, for example, the Batgirl of Burnside where the, the kind of collective birds in the background are giving uh, Barbara some, some, crap because she's posting on not instagram and she's she's really you know using this media in her narrative to tell her narrative which i i I thought was very clever Mm. of that creative team um so having the new launch point and then also having this additional kind of up to date i was like okay dc yeah yeah i see (laughs) i see what you're doing well, I think this kind of ties back to um, to Instant Report really well because, you know, through through what we've been talking about, like, Mary, you've obviously got a kind of a long, rich history with superhero comics. And and Mark, you're, you know, you you love Spider-Man and you've, you know, you're, you, you, it seems like you're into kind of indie books as well, but your, your kind of history with superhero comics isn't as extensive. Um, so that almost, like, that works really well um to bring to instant report i think because instant report is this mixture of you know the extraordinary and and the everyday isn't it and so i think that you know do you find that your experiences with comics and media being so different do work well together for this story i think so i mean it'd be a it'd be a rough time to say no i suppose (laughs) (laughs) it would be a really rough time to say no um i think so and i think I think that um, one of the things that definitely uh, helped was us treating superhero and superhero comics as another genre mm. um, where and mixing that genre, those genres, you know, you're mixing the adventure, the mundane, the horror elements all together with the backdrop of the superhero story. That's what Mark likes to say is we have a backdrop of superpowers mm. and in the forefront, we have these dramas is has worked out really really well because we get to draw from more sources we don't have to stick to the cape and cowl we don't have to stick to the body horror we don't have to stick to these traditional things we can move around and play in our own sandbox doing kind of what we want and i think it's also we we have different things i think that we want from the story um and i think uh, Brian also brings uh, this to the team as well. Like he, he's constantly asking questions. He's really into exploring like types of powers and stuff. So like, so we, many we, questions. We make a good sounding board for each other. I feel like, um, which has been really helpful in the creative process. And I think because Mary and Brian have so much more knowledge, like the superhero thing, it really helps me sort of wrap my head around since my since I only really know Spider Man very well. You know. And, you you were right like i do read a lot of like indie comics over mm-hmm. like general superhero stuff because i like i like stories that have like a finite mm-hmm. ending and i don't really get that in marvel in dc that much so like 
you know, uh, stuff like, uh, well, stuff like Copperhead or, you know, the White Sand thing, uh, or um, I'm trying to think, Wicked and Divine. Um, those are all oh, like stories phew. that like, <laughs> you know, I, I, I can read the whole thing, I can digest them, and it's not like a continuing yeah, saga. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like saga. <laughs> like saga, yeah. Oh, saga is actually a good example. <laughs> it is, saga, right? Um, but at that same time, you know, Brian and I, when we get bogged down in our, well, you know, DC did this and Marvel did this. And why does the superpower work this way? We have Mark pulling us back and going, okay, but guys, mm. no, yeah, no, yeah. stop. Um, so it's, it is really good to kind of, I think the three of us, the, we can pull each other in, in either direction. Yeah. And our main goal overall is also like, I, I don't expect us to tell the most unique story necessarily. Like I don't think we're reinventing comic books by any means, like at all, no. uh, but I, I just want us to be able to tell a good story together. And that's really the goal with incident report is to tell the best story that we can tell uh, as writers. Well, I'm, yeah. I'm genuinely excited to, to, to see more from you guys. And um, I know that um, anyone that reads that first issue will will be looking for more as well. So, um, but yeah, so thanks. Thank you very much for, for talking about Instant Report. Thank you for, you know, sharing some of the comics that you love. Um, and, uh, and yeah, just generally thank you for joining me on the show. It's been, it's been really a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having us. This was a lot of fun. This is, this was delightful. That's the Issue is part of the Multiversity Comics Podcast Network. You can find this show and plenty more at multiversitycomics.com. You can subscribe to the show via Apple, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please consider sharing this episode with a friend. The show is on Twitter, at That's The Issue, and I'm on there too, at Matt Loon. Finally, you can contact the show via email at That's The Issue Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you.